0: Welcome to part two of our interview with Anne Cecil Sturman. In this episode, you'll learn about cultivating your chi as a way of life, including key insights on diet and acupuncture. Be sure to listen to the first part of this interview by visiting acenterfornaturalhealing.com forward slash chi. That's acenterfornaturalhealing.com forward slash qi.
1: Well, Anne, when I talk about, you know, the idea of trusting your gut feeling, you know, right away you can see the conflict there because are we going to trust the intellect of the mind or are we going to trust, you know, our emotional feelings? Feelings, pretty fickle things there. Whereas, you know, the mind has a linear foundation where where we could establish and we could prove something.
0: Or at least we think we can. We've been taught that. I, I don't think that there's really well, truth I, to that.
1: And that's the idea. I mean, yeah. It's proven until it's disproven. And that's the, the thing that we don't follow through with is realizing that science can and often is disproven later on.
0: Welcome to the Natural Healing Podcast, the show designed to guide, inspire, and empower you to elevate your health so you can achieve your goals and dreams. We are your hosts, Dr. Satara Moafi
1: and Salvador Cephalou,
0: a husband and wife team of acupuncturists and owners of a Center for Natural Healing, an integrative wellness clinic based in the heart of Silicon Valley.
1: We're here to make the ancient wisdom of healing practical and accessible for your modern lifestyle.
2: We have to remember that science told us the world was flat. Yeah. In the at least the Western Hemisphere, not in uh, advanced cultures that knew that it was round the whole time. But, you know, we were told the world was flat. We used to spray people with DDT in the 50s and the 60s.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's continuing to happen. New developments and new science brings out new technology, new pharmaceutical drugs that are proven to be effective for the prevention of an illness or for the resolution of an illness. And then a few years pass and there's enough trials and they realize, oh, wait, it has all these other effects that we didn't know it had So now we have to take it off the market because it's killing more people than it's helping.
1: For decades when they finally realized that metformin is now causing cancer. Right.
2: Right. Things like that. Exactly. The other part about, you know, being tuned into the gut feeling and being able to, you know, swing your own pendulum, as it were, through the breath is to understand The role of the mind, like, why do we have a mind that has these capabilities? And of course, I think the mind's function is to work out a way to navigate the messages that we get from the gut. So, you know, central in Chinese medicine, as you well know, is the idea that we become interested in something. You know, a gut feeling emerges that draws us to something could be acupuncture, you know, it could be, you know, biology, it could be painting, it could be anything. And one day we have a thought, oh, I think I'll, I should check that out. That feeling arose in the gut. And then it becomes the mind's responsibility to say, oh, you want to paint? Okay, well, we should go to the art store then. And so the it's the mind's job to to figure out the nuts and bolts of that and to come up with um, ingenious ways through problems. But it's not the mind's role to work out what is the role of the gut.
1: It makes me think of uh, even science today is talking about the gut as the second brain. You know, it's producing hormones for the brain and uh, neurochemicals. and, um, And the gut is a source of a lot of toxicity. And especially in Chinese medicine, we call it dampness or too much Fungal overgrowth in the gut. So you can see how that's going to cloud the mind and our judgment as well.
2: Right. The phlegm mists the mind.
1: And this is ubiquitous in society.
2: Yes. We call it comfort food, right? The addiction to sugar, gluten, dairy, comfort food, cakes and sweets and things like that. And of course, you know, we're drawn to those things to ensure that we make enough phlegm to keep us dampened down and quieted and relaxed. But it's an artificial relaxation.
1: We're being numbed out without food and we're being dumbed down with a collectively. Right. Pretty clever control mechanism.
2: Yes. And then we fill our senses with things that are not not conducive to original thought and inventiveness and enthusiasm and expansion and change like electronic screens, which are also very numbing. Someone told me a funny joke about a friend of theirs who couldn't stop looking at their phone, couldn't stop the Instagram thing. And he said, you know, his tombstone is going to say he came, he texted, he left.
0: <laughs> That's a lot of people these days. And I worry more about the youth with that, right? Because that's the culture they're being brought up into, this attachment. It's like an extension of your arm is your phone.
1: And texting is such a limited way to communicate with somebody. It's often misprinted, misunderstood.
0: But it's also become like the leading way of communicating now, interestingly enough.
2: Right. And it gives people the illusion that they're connected, but... If you watch someone who's engaged with their screen, they're, the emanation of their chi, which really should be moving outward and away from them beyond what we can imagine for an infinite distance. So the heart has an electromagnetic field 5,000 times greater than that of the brain. You know, our heart is supposed to be open, wide open in a compassionate way through to all humanity. But if you watch someone who's engaged in their phone, that magnetic field, that entire electromagnetic field that's coming off, not just the brain, but especially the heart is condensed around them. So there's an illusion that that person is more connected because they're looking into the screen and they see the names of all the people that they're connecting to. But the reality is, that the chi of connectivity has come in, it's been drawn in to be limited to the area between their head and their hand. So they have become far less connected, they've become disconnected, thinking that they are more connected. And this is going to create a tremendous number of problems with anxiety. So people... Say so what I've noticed in the past few years is that the incidence of anxiety has risen tremendously. Well, the definition, as you know, in Chinese medicine of anxiety is the failure of the heart and the kidneys to communicate. So the kidneys store your destiny, the blueprint of your destiny, the way that you're going to walk through life, your mission, how you're going to carry that out. That's all important all stored, encoded in the kidneys, the chi of the kidneys. And then the chi of the heart is, I know I'm telling you what you already know, but just for the listeners, the chi of the heart is responsible for creating relationships, for being enthusiastic, for shining the light, for even controlling relationships, for making connections and for expansion, expansion of of love, expansion of compassion, expansion of connections. And when that chi, that expansive chi is brought in, is tightened in, is reduced to a tiny little bubble around the screen user, that connection breaks because the heart is struggling to get its chi to come out. So it has this stagnation of chi. And when the heart becomes stagnated, The kidneys cannot communicate up to the heart and create that loop, that connecting loop. And the result is anxiety. So we see addictive screen users have tremendous anxiety. This is all about the disconnection. But if you try to convince a screen user that they are becoming disconnected, they'll argue back.
0: I think that's why you also see, in addition to the anxiety, you see a lot of depression, I mean the explanation you gave was really beautiful because as you contract your energy and have this illusion of being connected but being really truly disconnected that creates sadness you know it creates a state of depression where the lung qi also becomes depressed because you feel so removed and so disconnected from society though there is the illusion that you're so connected because of all the names that are on your screen all the you know comments and likes and whatever that are in front of you. It's it's not a real reality. It's kind of a, a completely altered reality. And they've done studies actually that show that the more people are on social media, for example, the more depressed they become. Despite the fact that social media supposedly is all about connection.
1: When I get on Facebook, I do that the breath test that you're talking about, and I inherently just feel. Depressed when I'm on it. I don't, you know, just with whether it's just bringing up, you know, the past by looking at what's going on with old high school friends and stuff like that. But, but yeah, it's. I think it's definitely a false sense of uh, connection and feeling fulfilled in relationship.
0: Oh yeah, and then it it encourages like this this um, the comparison syndrome, right? Like what you have is always being compared against what other people have or accomplish or doing or whatever, just because of the nature of the way that those platforms are set up. And so, because you have a certain number of followers, a certain number of likes, a certain number of friends, whatever it is. And so it creates this kind of disillusioned sense of self too, that calls into question, you know, the identity of the person that's logged in at the time. And so it creates this culture of just Toxicity really I mean even though it does have value for information, for connection to some extent, it's really about making sure that you're limiting the amount of Chi and blood that you're putting into these you know these platforms and the amount of time that you spend on your screen because it really does deplete your energy.
1: Well just like Chinese medicine tells us you know that this the taxation so excessive steering you know is going to tax the heart. And then, you know, the eyes are an extension of the liver so that you're just exhausting the liver's blood. And so you can get a whole host of symptoms that usually are associated with wind. And we recently talked about the ramifications of having wind in your body.
2: Yeah, these are all such wonderful points. And more to your point, Sal, about reaching back into high school on Facebook or whatever, that's not a natural thing for people to do that chapter <laughs> is done. So it, normally, you know, you would be, you know, you moved a long way away or where, wherever, you you left those people, their role in your life, no matter how special, no matter how bad too, it's done. It, and in the normal course of events, you would not see those people again. <laughs> right? the, and so when we Engage in what is not natural to read sometimes
1: it opens chapters, huh? yes, it's opening old chapters that really you don't need to reread yes,
2: I think that's retarding to the beautiful playing out of the Jing of the essence of the the blueprint, the map of one's life
1: in the moment
2: yes, we're supposed to move on, you know the our circumstances, our friends, sometimes our careers, they're all supposed to be. They occur in chapters. Yeah. Well, and
0: the problem, and not to dwell too much on this whole social media thing, but it is a really good example of how, of chi and the way chi really gets dispersed through these kinds of activities, right? Or excessive use of these kinds of activities is that, like you said, you're supposed to renew yourself as you move through life. And the problem with a lot of these, you know, being able to look into so many people's lives it definitely scatters your chi because you're not really creating a sense of connection. So if you were to meet with an old high school friend and have that person connect with you one-on-one or in a small group setting or whatever, that's a different connection, right? And that doesn't take you back and just you know create all these false stories and illusions and whatever. But the fact that you're doing it in this setting where you're not even really in communication necessarily with those people a lot of the time, you're just able to, Kind of peek into each other's worlds, it just creates a distraction that just disperses all of your energy
1: and, and like she was referring to, and stagnates you.
2: yeah, perfectly said.
0: yes,
1: so it's like so it's like you
0: can't renew yourself because yeah. you're always just like being pulled
2: back a little bit at a time
1: yeah. it's a It's a profound uh, mess
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think that's beautifully said, and also there's a whole subset of the culture now that lives their entire life online. And what's going to happen at some point, I think, is that they'll, they'll start wondering, I hope they do start wondering, what am, what am I producing that is of worth, that is of value, that is helping humanity expand, move forward to, to develop thought and culture, and I think as soon as that trend happens, and I think it needs to happen and it will happen, when I turn off my kids' phone, like say, say um, there's an, some kind of infraction and I confiscate a phone, what I find is my paintbrushes and canvas boards and paints find their way into the bedroom of, this, of the culprit and um, there is create, actual creativity happens. It's, it's being diverted. This chi is being diverted. That's chi.
1: Are you using your children as tests?
0: Human clinical trials?
2: (laughs) No, I'm just trying to be a mom.
0: (laughs) But that's so interesting because what you said was fascinating earlier, how it kind of draws the chi in whenever you're doing a lot of, you know, interface on the screen. And then it prevents the heart chi from expressing itself, right? So then you have all that stagnant chi that then creates anxiety. But the other function of the heart, right, is to allow us to be creative. And so then when you free that person or your children or whoever from that device, then that heart chi starts to open up again, that stagnation releases, and then that creativity can more effectively be expressed.
1: What's also another epidemic is the use of the medications, to cope with the anxiety and the depression and just think how that's quelling the creativity.
2: Yes, we're in a real bind. But acupuncture can help tremendously there, especially the low channels. So the low channels store emotions that haven't been expressed or or that are unable to be expressed. And treatment of the low channels, it circumvents the need to process and process and verbalize over and over and to work things through by talking. It it does this incredible shortcut simply by taking a tiny, tiny amount of blood or needling a point in, in order to allow a tiny, tiny amount of blood to show at that point. And the evacuation of qi containing That suppressed emotion, that unexpressed emotion is enormous and that can offer tremendous release. We don't need these medications. We need acupuncture.
1: Especially when you're working with children, they respond so quickly. You really see almost like a miraculous change with children or young adults. But I also love working with the geriatric community too because geriatric problems are often just so rooted in just blood stagnation because the lows are relating to that blood stagnation and you can see by just doing some of that invigoration of the blood and and uh, releasing that how they they perk up immediately
2: well yes the elderly population grew up at a time when it was preferable or more acceptable to hold your emotions in check you know they grew up at a time where they weren't taught to really freely express their emotions and so we find that they have a lot of capillary activity around the ankles and, and even on the face and and uh, on the lower legs and the low vessels are tremendously helpful with that population. Do you do a lot of that work, Sal?
1: I have a number of geriatric patients, Yes, yeah. One of them they're is great, amazing. They're great to work with. I mean, I love seeing these people who are in their 80s or even their 90s and Within just a few treatments, you can see that their youthfulness is re- returning so quickly, with their flexibility and and uh, it, and that less the less uh, rigidity in their body. You know, it's it's not it's not a complex thing. Yeah,
2: right. It's such an honor to work with our elders. You know, to be able to contribute to our elders. Oh, and help them, you know,
1: find comfort, you know, at that point in their life, when often people are thinking that gets over, you know. The worst thing, I think, is when I see people in their 30s thinking that they're getting old, and that's why it's just normal to not feel (laughs) well.
0: So I wanted to kind of segue back to the idea of, or the concept of chi that you talked about at the beginning of our discussion. And kind of, so now that we know that we have to Hold our qi or conserve our qi and also consolidate our qi right through and we've talked a lot about the different ways that the qi gets depleted and dispersed and scattered what would be something for someone who is let's say unfamiliar with acupuncture or maybe has some hesitation around acupuncture or doesn't really understand the value of it really Because I think a lot of times in the society or the culture that we're in, acupuncture is, you know, referred to or sought out when there's like an injury or some big disruption in the body. And Part of our goal is to make the information of the medicine, of classical Chinese medicine, more accessible through tools, but also through the invitation for people to experiment with the medicine in their own bodies. So if somebody is unfamiliar with the concept of qi and unfamiliar with acupuncture in general, how would you introduce them in a way that would be, I guess, accessible?
2: So if someone were to ask me, why should I do acupuncture? Why should I? I feel okay? I would say, well, how do you think about acupuncture? When you think about acupuncture, how do you see its function? And usually people think acupuncture is for injury. They think that you go to an acupuncturist if you've got a sore back or you sprained your ankle or, or you twisted a limb or something, They or you've got a stiff neck, They think that that's what acupuncture is for. And so I would begin by explaining that of the 66 channels that we use in acupuncture, only 12 of them are for injury. You could stretch that if you add the divergent channels to 24, but really there are 12 acupuncture channels called the sinew channels that we use for treating injury. And that leaves a tremendous number of other channels. What are they for? um, There are another 12 channels, the divergent channels that treat um, chronic degenerative diseases. There are eight channels that treat issues that arose uh, in childhood or that are inherited. There are um, 16 channels that treat emotional disturbance. And there are 12 channels which are used for cultivating the 24-7 operation of the organs. So then I would explain to that person that if they had no complaints, acupuncture would be of tremendous use to them because the, the treatment of those, of you know, selection of those 12 channels will ensure the smooth function of the internal organs. So as you know, that the Chinese medicine is the art of keeping of understanding really how the body is engaged in keeping pathology away from the organs the internal organs the lungs large intestine stomach spleen heart small intestine bladder kidneys gallbladder liver the 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 game that the body is playing all the time is to keep those jewels those the viscera the 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 precious precious internal jewels safe because it's those organs that are responsible for the smooth functioning, the smooth flow of qi and therefore um, the, the derivation of energy, of nutrition from food, of the evacuation of waste, of the manufacture of blood, manufacture of fluids. And people who have regular acupuncture, and it doesn't need to be every week, people who have regular acupuncture tend not to develop problems in the internal arena, as long as they're not eating sugar and junk food. But they tend to be absolutely illness free and maintain that. And when everyone else is going down with something, when everyone else is complaining about, you know, having the latest infection, when everyone else in the office has a cold or a flu or a some kind of ailment, they seem to be okay. And it seems like a miracle to them. Well, everyone else around me is going down, but I seem to be fine. And I, I remind those people, well, people who have regular acupuncture tend to stay very, very healthy as long as they're not eating sugar. And then if they still want to know more, which they often do, then, then I talk about the channels. Now, dip, you have to know your audience If somebody is already tuned into spirituality, if they're already tuned into meditation, they're alternate thinkers, I'll go so far as to say that the acupuncture channels that we um, put needles in vastly predate acupuncture. In fact, I, I probably wouldn't in the first chat go so far as to say they predate humanity. But it is interesting to explain to people that originally the channels did not have points. Originally, the channels were not considered to be in or on the body. Originally, they were considered to be fields above the body. So the lung channel would be was considered a field of energy that affected the lungs and then affected the arm, moved down the arm, and it would be on the opposite side of the pulse so the lung channel would be on the right side of the body and it would be a field and this is why the original treatment of the channels was through shamanism shamans uh, don't use needles they use uh, other energetic influences they use their minds and they use their their hands and ritual and sound and music drums whatever they use to move the chi to just shake up the chi to release stagnation from those clouds and then as acupuncture became more uh, I think best word I can come up with is material right? so humans tend to want to make things material then the channels became became placed on or in the body and then they had points and even now we've come to an extreme of it where the, the channels are on both sides of the body and they have points and they must be needled and so, one of the great things about the, the tragic um, COVID period is that we are doing, many of us are doing remote treatments. So, we are reaching into those original clouds, the original concept of the channels, and treating the, the fields or the, or the clouds of chi over the channels or over the, those regions of the body. But coming back to the, the explanations, so I would then explain to the, the, the person who's the potential um, acupuncture patient, or I would say that what governs health is the free flow of energy through the body. When we have illness or pain, when we have, when we have dysfunction or when we have an organ functioning suboptimally, It means that the chi is not flowing freely through the organ and the channel that it creates. And when we needle into that channel, we're inviting that free flow of energy to reestablish itself and thereby return good and free health. And then they start to get interested oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And then you'd say, well, all health originates in the digestive tract. And the most important organ, if you had to rank them, would be the spleen. We have to be able to take in food and and water, and we have to be able to transform that food into usable substance. It needs to be transformed, and then it needs to be transported. And we need to be able to extract the nutrition, which is another kind of chi, from the food and allow it to move to where it belongs or where it can be used. And if that process is disrupted through a blockage in qi, that can be remedied through acupuncture. If there's a blockage in it and we have ineffective extraction of nutrients, then we have either malnutrition, we have tremendous tiredness, we might get headaches as the channels try to tighten up to get things to function. And then then they'll start saying, and then then you might say, and then we'll we'll have gas and bloating or cramping or constipation or even diarrhea as this spleen channel is not flowing freely. And that's where they start to become engaged because many, many people have digestive imbalances for a multitude of reasons. I'm sure you're doing podcasts on that, on food additives and GMOs and non-organic food and and farming practices. And, and, you know, you could go on for, for weeks and weeks about that. But that's where they become engaged because nearly everyone you encounter in the office has a digestive issue. They're eating some kind of wheat. The, the American actually don't want to get into the food thing because then I might not be able to stop. But if everybody ate organic food, if they didn't eat sugar, if they didn't eat so much gluten or so much cheese, we'd be in a, an entirely different state of chi of flow as a culture. Chi is
0: energy and a lack of chi can lead you to have chronic fatigue as well as a weakened immune system. Visit acenterfornaturalhealing.com forward slash guide to get a free five-step guide with the tools you need to feel revitalized and follow your dreams. That's a Centerfornaturalhealing.com forward slash G-U-I-D-E. So I don't want to get you into the whole food discussion in too much depth, but since you did mention, you know, how eating a lot of sugar will impede the efficacy of the acupuncture treatment, I know there's going to be a lot of light bulbs going off in people's minds and a lot of curiosity about why that is. Can you briefly explain that?
2: Sure. Well, sugar is a multifaceted evil. (laughs) I mean, that sounds like very strong language, but sugar is a fascinating thing. If you stop on the highway beside a sugar plantation, um, which we have done actually, if you drive up far north Queensland in Australia, when we were in Australia a few years ago, we had the kids in the back seat. We were driving along the highway. We were going to the beach. My whole extended family was there, 11 of us. And and Andrew said, oh, sugar cane, and stopped the car. And he got out his pocket knife and cut down a whole piece of cane, apologized to the, the farmer who wasn't there. And then cut the cane into pieces it took quite a while because it's very stringy it's like, it's like cutting through bark and it's almost like cutting through bamboo and 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 handed a piece to each child so they they were they would have been like 10 and 8 or something at the time and the kids they were so enthusiastic because there's never been sugar in the household right so which backfired years later because um, now I have one child who can't stop eating sugar out out of, um, you know, uh, teenage rebellion. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I think that might stop. (laughs) I think that might stop when he... When he's 30. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) You know, if you you program it in in early childhood... um, According to Steiner, they'll come back to it, so I'm not too worried, but anyway, Andrew handed each child a piece of sugarcane and and they were so excited and they stuck it in their mouth and they started sucking on it and and Miriam said, "It's not sweet, mummy and they said, "I thought sugar was sweet and you know then we explained to them and it's a very interesting thing to understand is that when you chew on a piece of sugarcane the cane, because it's a whole food, the cane contains so many enzymes. Nutritionally, it's complete. You can digest the sugar very effectively with those enzymes and it becomes a, a, it's inherently a complex food. But when you take the cane and you chop it up and you put it in a refinery and you strain all of the fiber out of it, and then you end up with the brown molasses, and then you keep refining and refining and you until it's not brown anymore, it's this crystalline white thing, you've got basically pure calories, very, very, very simple sugar, pure calories. So when you put that into your stomach, it needs almost no digestion. It goes straight through to the small intestine, and it goes right through that wall as a simple sugar, and it goes into the blood and if you were to take a glass of water and put a couple of tablespoons of sugar in it and stir it around, you'd end up with a very thick, a viscous, gooey liquid. And so as that sugar goes into the blood, it thickens the blood up. So when you thicken it um, with something that's pure calories, and remember remember, calories translate into heat, so you've heated up the blood, and you've made it sticky. So it's going to slow down and it's also going to become hot. And when blood becomes hot, when it becomes overheated through sugar, it has to do something urgently. And so it goes to the liver and the liver releases cholesterol, which is a beautiful like balm. It's like a salve for the inside of the arteries. And so your body will start laying down cholesterol in the arteries to protect the walls of the arteries from this burning substance that threatens to breach that barrier, that blood barrier, the the walls of the arteries. And so then you get a combination of this smooth, silky cholesterol protecting the interior of the, the arteries And the heat, and that's what we, in Chinese medicine, we call that damp heat. Damp heat really is another word for inflammation. It's a form of inflammation. So now you've got inflamed arteries. And over time, this tremendous heat complex stimulates the parathyroid gland to ask the bones to release calcium. So the bones become thinner as their calcium is released into the bloodstream, to try to put out this heat, which is now damp heat. And that creates calcium buildup, plaque, and ultimately heart disease. And that's all from simple sugar. Meanwhile, the constant intake of sugar is taxing the spleen. The spleen and the pancreas, or the spleen-pancreas, hyphenated as Andrew, my husband, likes to call it, which is far more accurate actually, That is being overworked because the the job of the pancreas is to process, to release enough enzymes to be able to process carbohydrates. And sugar is the simplest carbohydrate. Also, if you are eating sugar in conjunction with other food, so let's say you had a piece of salmon, some broccolini, uh, a couple of carrots, and a cup of rice for dinner let's say that was your dinner, and then not long after your dinner, you say, hmm, I really need something sweet now. So you cut yourself a piece of really sugary pecan pie or you eat two pieces of chocolate. Your spleen and pancreas are going to stop their work on what's already in your stomach because they're saying, oh, look, free sugar, free energy, and the attention is turned to that sugar and so you end up with stagnation of digestion a slowing of spleen and pancreatic qi and the problem with that is that the spleen and pancreas are marvelous multitaskers they are supposed to be in charge of the qi that manufactures blood in charge of the qi that holds things up like so when things are not held up you know we have prolapses like hemorrhoids or Paralamps, bladders, and uteruses, and sagginess of the flesh, and droopy, droopy arms, and what have you. That's, so that's all under the auspices of the spleen. The spleen's also responsible for um, the distribution of heat in the body. So you have cold hands and feet. It controls. It keeps blood in its banks. That's the jargon, which means it it uh, prevents bruising. So. People who have weak spleen, pancreas, they bruise easily, cold hands and feet. And also the distribution of of qi, if it's compromised, results in tiredness. And then the spleen is also responsible for the full and complete digestion of food. So if there is incomplete uh, digestion of food, there'll be tiredness. There'll be an accumulation of the byproducts of undigested food, which tend to be phlegmatic and then that phlegm gets uh, distributed instead. And so you can have um, swellings, edema um, and lethargy and then brain fog, inability to concentrate. This is all from eating sugar. So that's why I'm saying if people are having regular acupuncture and they're not eating sugar, they really have a good chance of having a, a long event-free healthy life. i mean health event free. So that gets them enthusiastic about acupuncture as a preventative measure because it, it, you know, you can start right there. And in fact, what I say to students is if you have a patient that appears to be very healthy and you don't know what to do, or even if you've got someone really ill and you have no idea where to start, start with the spleen, just treat the spleen channel.
1: That's what we teach in Japanese acupuncture, if you can't figure it Mm. out, strengthen the spleen
2: and stomach. (laughs) It's a universal concept because it's true.
0: Right. And that could be a good cue for somebody who wants to begin their process of cultivation is start to strengthen your digestive system, remove at least the refined sugars out of your diet if you're going to take one step. And that could be a great way Mm. to start cultivating your chi.
2: Right. And then if they're still unconvinced, right, then we go the next step. So what is the next step is for the spleen to ascend its qi to the lungs. And once that qi becomes lung qi, it's the same qi, when it reaches a different location, it has a different name, lung qi, then the lungs are able to use that qi for immunity. So there are two components to immunity. One is the, the qi of digestion, which ultimately comes from the, the qi of the kidneys. We call kidney yang. So the qi of digestion and the fluids of digestion. So those components are ascended up to the lungs and the lungs are able to distribute that qi to the exterior And that becomes what we call Wei Qi, defensive Qi, and that is your immune system. So if your digestive tract is weak, you're going to have reduced immune function and potentially chronic illness, chronic sinusitis, chronic rhinitis, chronic bronchitis, chronic asthma, chronic shortness of breath, a tendency to get colds all the time, that's coming from digestion. So... And then I probably also, also should say it, if a person has regular acupuncture and they don't eat sugar and they don't use immune suppressants, then they'll have a long health event-free life because things like Singulair and Claritin and, and all these allergy suppressants prevent this movement of the um, immune chi to the exterior Almost all my cancer patients have a history of, of taking allergy medications. They are absolutely deadly.
0: So interesting because when I came to acupuncture many years ago as a patient, I came for regulation of my menstrual periods and also for the extreme pain that I was having during that time during each cycle. And one of the other things that I was suffering from pretty dramatically was allergies since childhood. I had a lot of asthma, I had a lot of allergies, I mean, seasonal allergies and otherwise. And it was so interesting because I didn't even talk about that with the practitioner. And as time went on and I was being treated, she was primarily working on strengthening my spleen, but also clearing the liver chi and also building my blood I started to notice, you know, when the season came for allergies, I wasn't having allergies. So I started to notice over time. And now to this day, I pretty much don't get allergies. It was kind of one of the positive side effects of acupuncture treatment was that as my digestive system became stronger, as my liver blood became stronger, as that liver qi became more clear and that stagnation got released, my immune system became stronger as well.
2: Yeah, beautiful. That's a great story. But it's one we hear all the time, isn't it? Really?
0: Yeah, totally. And it's so interesting because as a child, I was a very sickly child. I had strep throat all the time. I was constantly, like I said, dealing with allergies. And then as an adult, knock on wood, I've had a very strong immune system. And I attribute so much of that to acupuncture.
1: Well, stress-induced asthma is not uncommon. And that makes me think of how the liver is often insulting the lungs, which is a common pattern that we see as well in Chinese medicine. Because um, if the liver is not allowing the qi to uh, smoothly flow through the body and the, the diaphragm gets jammed up, then that, that whole uh, breathing mechanism is, it tightens up as well. So you can see how, how stress itself is going to compromise uh, the immune system. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so not only the stress that impacts the liver, but then you could say, well, now we're looking at foods that are going to be stressful to the liver.
0: And then we resort to eating a lot of those foods that you should be avoiding when we're under stress, right? A lot of people, when they're stressed out, start to eat a higher carbohydrate, higher sugar diet rather than eating, you know, more clean lean meats and vegetables and things like
1: that. And just the amount of medications that people are taking that's just intoxicating the liver tremendously. It just has such a ramification systemically.
2: Yeah, that's what's missed is that all these medications that people take have to get through the liver. That's how they're detoxed from the body. And if the liver is tight, and that can happen for a great number of reasons then it can become very, very toxic. And then that toxicity causes the liver to become more tight. So you've got this catch-22 situation and the liver is an intimate controller of the diaphragm. Once the diaphragm's tight, then you can't have the movement of stomach fluids and, uh, or, or spleen chi and stomach fluids up to the lungs to create immunity. So the that's, it's a double whammy against the immune system is to take drugs to try to foster it because it, it will ultimately have the opposite effect. But the main concern I have is the anti-allergy medications which create exactly that problem you're talking about but also they try to train the body not to react. It's like it's the, the drugs say to the body, what, what are you doing? The body says, hey, I, I don't want to be around this. This is not good for us. I've got to get away from this pollen. I need to get away from this cheese. I need to get away from this person. So I'm just, uh, you know, I'm displaying that. I'm making a display of that. And the allergy med says, no, this is an incorrect response. The, the, the beauty, beautiful thing about the human body is that it doesn't make errors. It never makes an error.
1: Yeah but sometimes it's screaming and it can be scary. So once again, people are reaching out for something that's going to give them a a numbing effect, which ultimately, if you use over and over again, you're just compromising your ability to respond to life appropriately.
2: Right, and that's the key word, is that all we're seeing is responses to pathology. When we're complaining about something the body's doing, we're seeing its action as it considers its encountering pathology. I think the main takeaway as far as chi goes is to encourage a daily period of, could be 10 or 20 minutes, where a person dedicates some time to simply focusing on the breath and understanding that with each inhalation, there's an intake of qi, that the terms air and qi in the Chinese language are interchangeable, but the inhalation of air is accompanied by the entry of qi, the qi of all humanity from all history. So we're not breathing in new air. It's the same air that that has always been. So with air comes the chi of wisdom the chi of humanity the chi of compassion the chi of thought and invention and enthusiasm and just to sit for 10 or 20 minutes just simply breathing and registering that fact begins a process in the body of a profound sense of relaxation and comfort and connection with everything and if we all cultivated the feeling of being connected, then there could be no illness. There could be no war against anything outside, whether it be, you know, another people or a pathogen or a concept or a political idea. You know, it's that that simple act of allowing the chi of all things to enter, which it's doing anyway. The registering of that is mind altering, society altering, humanity altering. It's a limitless healing event or healing practice for all.
0: And that's a beautiful way to end. In terms of your immune system and in terms of cultivating your chi through diet, one of the main things that we talked about earlier that you could just take away and implement is to be really careful about your consumption of sugar, especially refined sugars, to make sure that you're eating a diet of whole foods, of organic foods, of clean foods, rather than just eating whatever feels comfortable. And I think one of the first things that comes with making that change is the simple act of becoming more aware. And so when you do the exercises that we've talked about in this discussion, in terms of breathing and becoming more present, that presence in and of itself is going to cue your body to know which direction will be most enhancing for your health through the foods that you take in, through the drinks that you drink, through the people that you surround yourself with, through the environments that you put yourself in. And all of that is going to help to cultivate your chi and enhance your immune system overall.
2: So beautifully said.
1: And so we could imagine as we pick up our uh, comfort food, we could sit with it and see how do we feel.
0: Yeah, and can you breathe can when you-, you pick up that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that soda, when you want to put it in your body? Does it allow you to breathe deeply or does it make your breath more shallow? And also, Anne, I want to acknowledge you. We didn't talk that much about your books, but your books really are two of the most pioneering well works of art really because the amazing thing about Anne's pulse book is she actually has created her own art from each of the pulses to reflect the to different reflect different pulse the different, yeah it's it's remarkable so and your complement channels book is really our main resource i would say in the clinic and it's really remarkable the way that you've put this information together from your experience and from your your learning and for those of you who are interested in exploring the world of classical Chinese medicine, I think even if, as a practitioner, these are invaluable, I think that you should not be practicing without these books. But even as a layperson who is interested in this medicine, I would really recommend picking up these books just to get an idea of the beauty and the art of this medicine.
2: Well, thank you.
0: Yeah, and Anne, can you share with our audience where they can find you online?
2: Yes, my website is com. That's Anne with no E.
0: I will definitely put it in the show notes.
2: annsecilsturman.com, and, and we welcome anyone there, and, and there's material on the website for everybody, um, practitioner and non-practitioner, even if you're only interested in food or if you're only interested in Qigong or... Only interested in cooking, there's, there's something for everybody there. And thanks for your compliment about the books. So that's very moving. Thank you.
0: Oh, of course. Oh, we're very grateful. For, I know. We're so grateful for for that you, you took done. that time. It's amazing what you've created.
2: And thanks for having me on. It's so great to be talking to you both in particular, but it's also great to be talking about these very, very important concepts. And I think what you're doing is fantastic and more power to you. Keep going. Thank you both. Love you both. Yeah,
1: thank you. Thank and you. It's been love you too, Anne. And now we would love to hear from you. Go to a center for com slash Medicine. And let us know what you found most interesting with this discussion.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Natural Healing Podcast.
1: And we look forward to our meeting next time.
0: Bye. Bye.